Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week our guest is Professor of American History at Princeton University, Pulitzer Prize nominee and author of No Property in Man along with other books, the great Sean Wilentz. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write to politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the links to our sponsors, Blinkist and Feels, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting our sponsors. It helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. James, we'll get to the latest Trump fiasco uh, in a moment. But first, Liz Cheney is widely expected was defeated in her re-election primary in Wyoming by a Trumper. However, the former president will come to regret this. She is now embarking on an intense campaign to try to restore Republican integrity to the party, conservative integrity, and make sure Trump never gets near the Oval Office again. You know, James, I'm with you. I doubt Trump will be the 2024 nominee, whether he's indicted, uh, his obesity may cause health problems, his age, or he gets defeated in primaries. But if he runs again or tries to run again, the indefatigable Liz Cheney will drive him crazy. Yeah, but, you know, and I want to get into this conversation with Sean, is how much of... Is this a personality cult, or how much of it represents a larger movement? It's yep. this, you know, nationalistic, yep. kind of anti anti everything view, and where it, you know what it does is it excuses anything in a pursuit of where they're going. And and you know, the one thing that Trump did say that he was right is that he could shoot somebody in Fifth Avenue. It would it would it wouldn't matter to his people. And you got thirty five percent of people in this country that are just insane and they disproportionately in places like Wyoming. So it's not surprising, but if you you look at these nominees and Blake Masters, I mean, by God, Herschel Walker, I mean it it it, it it's really a, a a stunning thing happening in American politics. It just is. Yeah, it is. And so what do you make of Liz Cheney's uh, next two years? Well, Liz Cheney has become a, a household name. And Liz Cheney has become a household name who, who is perceived to, and correctly perceived, I might add, to have stood for something. And, you know, it, in the story, I mean, there'll be movies made about this. When, you know, somebody from the own party, you know, who was a down-the-line conservative Republican said no. And, you know, it, it, I'm just thinking, the thing about her, too, is, like, she's so different. Her appearance is so different with, that, like, you know, really silver hair, blonde hair. She, and she just, in every picture, you're just commanded to look at her. And she's, you know, she's going to have a very successful post-Wyoming house career, I promise That you. was one of the most, uh, that was one of the greatest concession speeches I've ever heard uh, no, last night. It, it wasn't exactly a concession, but I especially liked her reference to General Ulysses S. Grant after the bloody stalemate at the Wilderness in 1864. She said he rode to the head of the column, which was the intersection of Brick Road and Orange Plank Road, and headed south. He was going after Lee. She's going after Trump. I love that because that's a stone's throw from where I was born, literally, Orange, Virginia. It was a powerful parallel. You know, it's funny, uh, uh, in the Overland campaign, 
you know, the wilderness was a, a really tough battle. I, you know, I don't think I don't think Grant won the battle or anything. It was a stalemate. And this horse, when he turned south, the whole all the troops erupted because they were used to just they'd fight a battle and then they'd retreat. And when he turned right, it was very popular. That's why he was Lincoln's. Uh, he was Lincoln's right. greatest general. You know, a week ago, Republicans were on the attack about what they called the raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago uh, estate, how awful it was. We were a banana republic, a dictatorship, et cetera. They've been a little quieter now once they found out what was there, uh, the stuff that he took, the top secret uh, information and documents that he had there. Uh, and um, it's, uh, it's been sobering to a few, not the crazies. Uh, but you know someone is guilty, James, when their story keeps changing. Initially, Trump said he didn't like, he didn't take anything that wasn't his. Then he said, look, I declassified all this stuff. Uh, no one else seemed to know that. Then he said, well, the FBI planted stuff down there, meaning when you get the really incriminating stuff, it's not mine, it's what they put there. And then it was the Democrats at the National Archives. Uh, that he didn't trust. And we know, James, that the National Archives has always been a hotbed of radical socialists. He's lying, and it's only going to get worse. But you know, this isn't anything new. We had a guest on on November 18th, I think it was, of 2020, right after the election, Shane Harris, a great intelligence reporter for the Washington Post. And here's what he said then. Mind you, this is, Trump was still in office. Here's what he said about what the fear was when he left office. And like so many things in the Trump administration, I mean, it's a novel dilemma that this one presents. We don't normally think about ex-presidents who have access to, I mean, literally all the secret information that they want as, as posing a risk of divulging it when they leave office. Uh, but here we have a president who, you know, and this isn't speculative, has a documented track record of disclosing classified information while he's been in office, sometimes for apparent political gains, sometimes apparently just inadvertently. Uh, and so a lot of people who I talk to are are genuinely worried that he will, through some slip of the tongue or perhaps worse, while he's uh, no longer in office, reveal things that need to be properly kept secret, including potentially really sensitive information. So, James, it's only going to get worse. Well, uh, I think the most interesting thing to come out of this was, uh, well, here's Pat Philbin, but one of one of the lawyers said uh, that those documents are mine. They don't belong to the, they don't belong to the federal government. And his mentality was they were all his. I mean, he has no concept of that of the ongoing nature. Of the, 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 and, and by the way, all of this unsecured, what we're told is top secret or secured, compartmentalized. They, they were Chinese and Russian spies crawling all over Mar-a-Lago. I, I mean, and everybody's trying to figure out who signed the affidavit. I, I, my theory is the Secret Service. I mean, it, they could see what's happening, and he didn't. You mean it, who told them? Yeah, yeah. Who who did the said this is the way it is, and when yep. they had to go get the warrant, my guess is is that it, it 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 was the Secret Service because they could see what was going on, and then he has his lawyer. Now this is going to be a very interesting thing, but. That, that, that's a deep trouble when they said they, they don't have any more of these documents and they come in and they pull, I don't know, seven, eleven boxes of them out. I mean, that, 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 that's a real, real sticky wicket there for them. And the lawyer can say, is going to probably have to say, the president told me. Yeah, no, I think you're me. right. I don't know how to, 
I, I don't know how you get out of that one. Or, one you know, more. if she takes the fall, she's going to take a big fall. Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, she lied. Um, one, let me offer a, a word about Merrick Garland. You know, we have a Sunday Zoom call, James, and six months ago, I think we were all casting doubt about whether the attorney general was tough enough, aggressive enough, and the late Walter Dellinger and Seth Waxman cautioned the rest of us to be patient. He's a judicious man. He will take action when warranted. Uh, I was one of the skeptics six months ago. They were absolutely right. Well, when, when they said that, I, I, I changed. I, I was a skeptic till they said that. And, it, you know, it, it, he's also, the fact that he is so methodical, you know, it, it, it actually kind of helps. It, it doesn't, of course, they're going to say that. And, you know, Fox is going to say it. There's nothing you can do. But it doesn't ring. It rings very hollow to say this is a partisan political witch hunt or something Oh, sure. Like I mean, it really does. And yeah. I, there's a story about it. He had sat on that search warrant, but that application for like a week, you know, tormented as to what he should do. And, and at the end, uh, that's that stuff is pretty central. And you, you're gonna you're gonna see him try to play this as a couple of librarians squabbling, you know. And and I think that they're ready for that. Yeah, I agree. Hey, James, we are in rare air today. Our guest is one of America's most distinguished historians, Sean Wilentz, who is also among a group of scholars who recently discussed the state of the country with President Biden. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, oh, it is a great pleasure to be here with you both. Some weeks ago, I, I called you on the phone and you told me we might be on the verge of what Hamilton in the Federalist Papers called government by brute force. Uh, we've seen the January 6th uh, riots. We've seen the calls now to go after the FBI. You're really worried about the future of our democracy. Yeah, for a lot of reasons. I mean, the violence is, is bad. The violence is unprecedented. The violence is seditious. It's not just violence, it's seditious violence. So that's part of it. But it's even bigger than that. I mean, it's the whole scheme or the whole plan of the Republican Party quite apart from Trump, to introduce a kind of tyranny of the minority. Uh, tyranny of the minority that's been, you know, people have been trying to do since John C. Calhoun. I mean, it goes back that far. That's, the, it's, the, it's the conjuncture of those two things, the, 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 the Trumpist craziness. But then what the Republicans are doing underneath all of that that has me most concerned. So, so Trump may be a, a driving force with his authoritarian bent, but it's much larger than him and it probably preceded him. Well, absolutely. I mean, think about this, though, just the violence part, Al. I mean, think back. We think of January 6th, 2022, 2021 as a, as a, as a date marked in infamy, right? Right. But remember November 22nd, 2000, in Miami-Dade, when a Republican mob stopped the count in that county and may indeed could have turned the election. This is not anything new. Even that part of it is nothing new. Um, and by the way, um, who was at that, that mob? Matt Schlapp. And Roger Stone. CPAC. And Roger Stone was the organizer. Right. So, so this goes back a very, very long way, really all the way back to, to Nixon times. But I think that something's developed over the last, what should we say, 20 years or so? Um, when they say stop the steal, what they really mean is stop stealing America from us. You know, They are frightened. They know 
the direction the country's going in, and they know that that direction does not include them, and they will do anything in their power to stay in power. And that's been apparent, I think, to a lot of people um, going back at least to the uh, end of the 90s. Yeah. But the Gingrich, and so what we're seeing is the culmination of all of that, really. Yeah, Gingrich was, uh, was a prototype of that uh, in yeah. many ways. You wrote a brilliant column for the Washington Post the other day that eviscerated poor little Marco Rubio, who had assailed and falsely misrepresented the meeting that Biden had with you and other scholars. Yeah. You, you really wrote, I, this is what really struck me, you, you see him and his ilk as, as in that long line of fake populists. No nothings, Father Coughlin, Joe McCarthy, George Wallace. Elaborate a little bit. Yeah, well, people talk about populism, but there's two kinds of populism in American political history. There's the real populism, which came from ordinary farmers up against the tycoons and the moguls and the, you know, the, 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 the plutocracy, if you will. But then there's a fake populism, which distracts from the real populism. It distracts you from the moguls and the tycoons and all the rest of it. It invents, you know, threats out there. And it uh, says that uh, these guys are the problem, not, not, uh, not, not anyone else. And it, it, it especially goes after, in particular, it goes after, you know, professors and intellect generally. Um, they aim at it because they call it elitist. They're redefining what the elite is, right? The elite isn't the tycoons and the plutocracy. The elite are a bunch of college professors. Right. And that's really crazy, right? But that's, that, is a, that is a long line of American political um, nefariousness, in my view. College professors or once uh, the pointy-headed bureaucrats, now the deep state. Uh, it's that's it's right. a great distraction. Uh, James Carville. So, John, you're talking about the 2000 uh, November 22nd, 2000, January 6th, uh, 2021. But you know what they, they call that thing in South Florida? The Brooks Brothers riot. That's right. And they, had a, they had a bunch of lobbyists and people and that kind of stuff. There was nobody on January 6th in a Brooks bro wearing Brooks Brothers. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, <laughs> times have changed, James. Times have changed. <laughs> right. The people right. behind it were the same, you see. It's a different I, yeah, army. It's, a, it's I, yeah, one's right. a platoon, the other's an army. But you know what I'm saying, right? right. Yeah, of course I know what you're saying. And, and, and Matt Schlapp and, and Roger Stone would air in, in, in 2020, I mean, 2000, but you just get an idea of how to, Internals of the party change. That's so, right. how much of this is you think is a cult to Trump, and how much of it you think is an actual sustainable movement? Well, that's a good question. I mean, the cult of Trump is real. The cult of Trump is there. I don't think that anybody can replace him. I don't think that Ron DeSantis can become Trump. I think it's a one-off for him. But I also think. That, as I said before, behind all of this is what the Republicans are up to, which is independent of Trump. You know, what they're trying right. to do is, 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 is completely undo American democracy. They can do that. They're using Trump as a vehicle. I think that once they see, if ever they see that Trump is going to be, you know, expendable and maybe much something of a drag, they'll get rid of him in no time if they can advance their, their, their plan. So, you know, when we say what, what is it, it's really two things at once. Um, but but Trump is certainly very, very important to it. And, um, you know, I don't think they're going to I think the Republicans are, in, are actually in many ways, funnily, in bad shape, even though they look to be impregnable because they have a party that's not doing very well, except for Donald Trump. You take Donald Trump away and I'm not sure that that that, that the Republican Party looks so strong. So before I turn it over to Al, Lester Maddox was the governor of Georgia. And he, he said the problem with the Georgia prisons was the quality of the inmate. I, I really think the, the problem that the Republicans has is the quality of his primary voter. 
Yes. All right. I, I, yes. I, I, in, you know, if you're Liz Cheney, you stick your head up. But there's other examples less, less extreme than that. And they don't, they don't allow their politicians when it comes to Trump any, any room, any maneuver room. And, you know, right. even even the ones that we like perceive to be moderate, you know, right. Rob Portman comes to mind. Right. They never say a word because right. it, it and the problem they have is they can't get away from it because that's what their party wants. You know, Al, Albert. Well, I, I want to pick up on that, Sean, because um, it wasn't too long ago. You're right. There were bad things that happened in the 90s and certainly after 2000. But just in your neighborhood, you had people like Tom Keene, who was the governor of, uh, of uh, New Jersey, agree or disagree with him. He, he certainly was in the mainstream of Republicans and, and, and America. And next door in Pennsylvania, you had, you know, people like Tom Ridge and, and Darrell Inspector. But now in Pennsylvania, you have crazies uh, running for both the Senate and the, uh, uh, and, and, and the governorship. So something rather dramatic has happened to that party in the last 20 years. No question. And I'll, I'll get real local on this. I mean, I'll talk about Tom Kane, the difference between Tom Kane and Tom Kane Jr. running in a district near mine, um, where Tom Kane Jr., when he nearly came close to getting Tom Malinowski undone in his congressional district, he was spouting all kinds of QAnon stuff, or at least giving it the back of his hand. That's nothing that his father would have mm. done. So the Republican Party has changed enormously, as you say, Al. And part of it has to do with what, what James was saying. Look, they can primary anybody if they want to. They tried to primary um, Tom Kane Jr., actually, but they split up the vote. They had three Trumpites running against him, so Tom Kane got through because that was all arranged, right? That was all set up. But in a lot of these other places, and where's the money coming from? It's dark money from the, the hard right. And they're making it impossible for the moderates in the Republican Party to be moderate in the Republican Party. Rob Portman, to the contrary, notwithstanding. You know, it's just very, very tough. And this is being driven from outside of American, of American democracy. This is essentially undemocratic. I mean, I'll, I'll differ maybe a little bit with James. I'm not saying this is the Republican voters. These are the Republican voters that are being, what, given the, um, being pushed in this direction by people from outside um, uh, American politics. They're being conned. And they're being conned, but they're also being pushed. Yeah. I mean, look, you're going to get a lot of money given to some right-wing crazy in the primaries that's going to be able to undo anybody else. And it's it, and now and then eventually it becomes a real thing, and that's what it's become. It's a real thing, you know. In talking about your worry about democracy, I mean, you've written uh, about the tensions with the founders over slavery, and others have drawn parallels between the 1850s and now. I think they're both very appropriate. I also think of the South during Reconstruction, when voting rights yeah. were denied, uh, the Constitution was ignored, and it was basically an authoritarian system. That's right. I mean, the overthrow of the Great Revolution of 1865, it took a while, but they, they, they pulled it off. And that lasted for a long time with a deal that was going to let the, the, you know, the white bourbon reactionary class of the South hold power for a very long time. And it lasted until the 1960s. And that's what, in some ways what we're up against now. I and mean, we've been up against it for a very long time, too, is the undoing of everything we achieved in the 1960s and that we achieved even after that we achieved in the 90s. You know that 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 Biden is achieving now. They are out to destroy all of that, and it's it's in a sense it's the second great reaction, the counter revolution, if you will, that was Reconstruction. We've been seeing that for a very long time. And how does history? Or what does history suggest? How we get out of this? Huh. Uh, 
Well, in their case, you know, the problem was that they, um, while they held on to power in the South for a very long time, you know, that doesn't run the country. I mean, eventually you're going to run the country into the ground, right? right? And um, that's what they do. They give them all that power and eventually they're going to run the country into the ground. You're going to have to have progressives come along like Theodore Roosevelt from that party and um, um, Woodrow Wilson and then finally FDR. But, you know, who wants to put the country through all of that? you know, in order to get them out of power. That's a, that's a pretty nasty way of looking at it. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you one thing, one uh, question. I'm turning it back to James. Put your political instincts cap on. Joe Biden uh, had a great year in many ways, but the oldest president we've ever had, credibly demanding job. Do you think he will and should stand for re-election? Well, let's see. Let's give me, uh, I can't think that far ahead. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm a historian. I was look. I'm always looking backwards. I'm always saying. You think I don't in centuries, not in not in months. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Let's get through November and see how we're right. doing. Um, I think that if 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 we can hold the Senate, and if we don't do so badly in the House, well, then then everything looks way different than it would if if uh, you know if things turn out badly for the Democrats. So so I'm not going to say anything about. 2024 until we get through 2022. James Carville is about to convince you there's a chance to win, to keep the yeah, house. Go know, ahead. He, you know, Sean, would, I think you were a faculty advisor to the Princeton baseball team. Yeah, I was. I yeah. am. Yeah, yeah, you throw the ball after you catch it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. So I, I have this theory that all of this started with Bush v. Gore. And, yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, and, and once they saw it, they could get away with that, they just didn't give a shit. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's in 2010 when, you know, we don't pay near enough attention to state legislature gerrymandering. And concurrent with the gerrymandering, you have the Supreme Court taking up a case to say that state legislatures. I, 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 I mean, am I missing something or this is like happening right in front of us? I think that's exactly right. And the court part piece is really important is when they came up with this decision that, you know, that Justice Scalia called, as they say in Brooklyn, a piece of da-da, um, you know, and get away with it. Uh, that was a real turning point. And um, yeah, uh, it, it was there before. You saw it in Gingrich, you saw it in others, but right. I think 2000 was the real turning point. Right. When it said, look, we can do this, we can do anything. And yeah. it yeah. gave the court, it gave the, 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 the Congress and the state legislatures that, that kind of empowerment that the Democrats were going to have a feeble response. You yeah, know, that's when we that's when we were saying stop the steal, right? Which is what was going on. No, the steal was there. It was right in front of your eyes. <laughs> there was no steal to stop here. They, they, they did it. No, the steal, sort of, it, it right? was the steal in reverse, James. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, before you go, I want to talk about our, our common friend, President Clinton. And you hear this yes. a lot in, in academia and more progressive circles, that he was just a corporatist Democrat and he really didn't yeah, right. do anything for the average guy. And it was right. a period where the rich got richer and the middle class didn't get anything. Yeah. Yeah. He'd I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> and let's, let's remember one thing, first of all, right? President Clinton comes to office offering the biggest social reform since what? The New Deal? Maybe since the Great Society, maybe since the New Deal with health reform, you know, and, and uh, that's what he stood for. And he continued to stand for that. He got messed up in part because people in his own party didn't support him. But nevertheless, we come to, you know, the uh, the 1994 elections. And then he had to do it a different way. And he did it tremendously. You know, I can g- give you all the figures. Right. People get on him about, you know, um, the crime bill. Well, excuse me, the crime bill had the Violence Against Women Act as part of it. It got assault weapons off the street. What's wrong with the crime bill? Excuse me. Thank you very right. much. And on and on, we can go down that road, James. As, as right. We okay. Have well, I just wanted. To, I just wanted to go down a little bit, a little bit way before. James doesn't mind that road at all, Sean. 
He <laughs> travels it a lot. No, but I mean, it's, it is a problem with, with the way that, um, um, you know, the, what, that particularly in the history profession, you're seeing a lot of these books out t- today saying that, that Clinton was just, you know, Reagan light or something. And, you know, if they had done that, why did they want to get him out so badly? Why did Gingrich want to, why did they try to impeach him? Because he was Reagan light? Come on, give me a break. I mean, it just doesn't stand the, the smell test. You know, before I let you go, <clears throat> I, I, I don't know if anybody could ever do this, but it, we really do need a call to some kind of populism here. You know, one of the most popular things that you can do is raise taxes on wealthy. One of the most popular things you can do, I mean, they've done a little bit of it, because give them credit, is is limit the cost of prescription drugs, make them, make them bid on things. I mean, it, it seems to me that there is a, a real case to be made for a real strain of populism. I, 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 look, but, you know, in some ways, the Democratic Party, the best of the Democratic Party has had that in its bones for a very long time. It switched. But, you know, starting with 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 Roosevelt, FDR, that is in our bloodstream. That is what we should be thinking about. And we do think about it. But the Republicans do a very good job of making it sound as if we're not doing what we what we aim to do. What we have to do is, I think, make it clear that we're out to help the great majority you know, we're not out to help this group or that group or this little right, thing or right. that little thing, and that's going to be a great mosaic and blah, blah. No, no. Go back and look at how FDR did it, you know, and, and that's what the Democratic Party ought to be. There's a populist element to that, um, but it's also about something else. I mean, this is where the Democrats really have to get smart. It's where our, our good friend President Clinton was smart, is that populism is necessary, but it's not sufficient. What you need is good politics. You need good political leaders. You know, you can't have a good government without good politics. And that's what the Democratic Party really has to offer at its best. And by the way, it's what Joe Biden actually, people are ragging on him all the time. Joe Biden just got a big bill through, you know, and that didn't come because all of a sudden Joe Manchin decided to see the light. That was because there were some good politics going on there. I'll give him credit for that. And um, the Democrats at their best can, can combine, you know, the egalitarianism of populism, but with political power and shrewdness and get it done. Yeah, there's so, so too many Democrats that want to feel good about themselves and pure and just sort of yeah. like the idea that they lose elections because they can talk about <laughs> how stupid everybody is. Exactly. Now <laughs> exactly. it to you. No, I want to, I want to just wrap this. Sean, I think one smart thing, picking up on what you said a minute ago about you know bestowing benefits on, uh, on not just small groups of poor people. I think Democrats have done one thing you know, very wisely in the last 30 or 40 years. Food stamps, Medicaid, EITC, they all have been expanded to beyond the poverty line, even into middle class, uh, I think it's made it more popular, more sustainable, and probably for better policy. Absolutely. Tax credits. A lot of the stuff, in fact, that, that Clinton gets attacked for, for being small bore, you know, for being nothing, were precisely those things that were expanding opportunity and possibilities right. for, the, for a large number of Americans um, because they were Americans, not because they were anything else. Yeah, and you don't find many Republicans who want to repeal Obamacare now anymore. Uh, no, that's they've right. seen what no, happens. That's right. Listen, you have that's right. we 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 are so enlightened. We are so elevated. Uh, I can't thank you enough for being with us. Yeah, can I? Thank Alan you, man. It's great to have you. It's a pleasure. And any time I'll, I'd, be, I'd love your, to come back. What's your new book going to be out? My book's a history of anti-slavery. You know, okay. we're hearing a lot of these days from the academy about how bad America is because of slavery, and that's all true. But there's also this thing called anti-slavery. And right. um, it actually that movement actually began in the American colonies. And I right. want to tell that story. It's a great story. Great. 
Yeah, you'd think no one existed in the country that knew this was a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, right. The only people that did were the slaves themselves, but, you know, it it was bigger than that. Okay. Well, thank you, Matt. Thanks a million. Thanks so much, guys. John, thank uh-huh. you. Hey, James, now for our questions from our incredibly smart and insightful uh, listeners out there. We start with Edward in Fairfax, Virginia, who said, is it possible that we Democrats are being sneaky and smart and goading Trump into announcing his candidacy for the 24 presidential run? That shuffs up the other candidates and continues to divide the Republican Party. Well, I... I don't know, goading, I mean, I, I don't think what the Justice Department is doing has anything to do with politics. And I think he's guilty, and uh, he be, and it very, may well cause him to announce earlier, but it's not anything that we're doing. Uh, you know, maybe the January 6th committee, some, but I doubt it. I mean, I don't think Trump is going to, Got got to keep swimming, man. He's got to keep that money coming in, and he he can't stand to not be on the front page. And I don't think there's anything Democrats can or doing that go to him any more than anything else. He's driven by more than his own sense of narcissism and his ego, and his fear that he's in real trouble. That somehow or another, <clears throat> some people have convinced him that if he runs, that's going to deter Mary Garland. I don't think it will at all. No, but I'll tell you, I wouldn't mind if he run, if, he, if he's going to run. You know, announce now, Donald. Don't be shy. Uh, go for it, big guy. Go for it, Orange Man. Whatever he thinks will bring in the most money, he'll do. That's for sure. Uh, I, I suspect that may be tied to some of those uh, boxes in Mar-a-Lago, too. Uh, our next question is from James in Lebanon, Kentucky, who asks, if the Democrats' pro-choice stance a problem in outreach to Latinos? The answer, James, is no. It's not. I talked to two really great experts on this with Jim Gerstein shop, Anna and Michelle. They have studied this a lot. The attitude of Latinos on abortion is the same as that of, of, of white Democrats, basically. They are decidedly pro-choice. The problem and the reason the Democrats worry about the Latino vote has much more to do with economics, uh, the feeling that uh, uh, somehow the Democrats uh, are elitist and don't care as much about them. Uh, it's certainly that. Uh, some male Latinos, that's where the real problem is, not with female Latinos. It's a little bit of the Trump had the swagger, the macho, if you will. And uh, thirdly, uh, the, some of the woke stuff doesn't help. I mean, there's nobody, one of them told me that, that they don't know a single Hispanic who refers to themselves as Latinx. So um, I think it's a real issue. It's a real concern in places like Nevada and Arizona this year. It'll be determinative in the election. But I don't think, I think abortion is actually a plus. Yeah, it, 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 the differences are not much different than, than any other Democrat. And you're right, it, so, so much of, I think, the problem we have is cultural. It is, you know, when, when we try to use those big words, it sort of signals that you're not that interested in my life. And, you know, in a, by the way, a lot of them work in border enforcement. <laughs> you know, how many, how many Latinos in Arizona, Texas, you think of, of work for in some level of border enforcement? It's a lot. And when you talk about open borders, that, that, that's jobs to their families. Right, and, right. You know, people tell you that hurts a lot. You know, some of the stuff that 
a, a lot of them work in fracking. You know, that hurts some, but the Democrats, we, we, we're, 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 you know, a climate party. But we can't, we can't go back on that. I mean, uh, but we, you know, people can frack all they want under Biden. <laughs> yeah. You know. Not 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 hurting John Fetterman, who's pro fracking in Pennsylvania. Right. Uh, I just say one more thing: the Latino vote is not monolithic. It is different in different places. In Florida, for instance, I think one thing that has hurt Democrats because a number of those we think of the Florida Hispanics as largely being Cubans. That's no longer the case. There are a lot from Venezuela, Colombia, uh, and other places yeah. in South America. And in the 2020 election, unfair charges of Democrats or socialists. Uh, resonate. The Republicans were it's able to capitalize on it. So uh, just to take a, talk about something we didn't mention, is Dr. Oz so far the worst count Senate candidate uh, it, it, that I can remember? Well, how about, I mean, all right, uh, let, let's have a runoff. Dr. Oz against Herschel Walker and J.D. Vance. Close. I, I, got, I, I, I think Dr. Oz, the, 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 his campaign has got to be, when he... Mm runs a spot talking about crudités from Wegner's. He conflated, you know, two of the biggest, best-known supermarket brands in Pennsylvania into one word. And, and the charge is he's not from Pennsylvania, all right? So he doesn't know, he's not familiar with the two, number one, number two supermarket chains in the state of Pennsylvania. That, that is just devastating. I mean, Herschel Walker, he's a football player. All right, I mean, you know, look at Tommy Tuberville. I mean, Tommy uh, Herschel Walker is not much dumber than Tommy Tuberville, but but what Oz is not obviously not a dumb man. He's a poly credentialed physician, but there's something, but there's something wrong with him in that campaign. I mean, Jesus. That he had ten houses. Said he had two houses. You know, he, he actually had ten. had ten. Yeah, he got well, two he in made- Manhattan. I think it's a close contest, but James, I think he may win. I think I yeah, think he may I, win I, the other. Well, uh, Tim Ryan is—he's—he's he's doing well. Yeah. He had a, Zach, a, a, a Portman aide, a, a top aide, the Portman top endorsed aide endorsed him. him. Yeah, a guy who was head of the Domestic Policy Council, uh, and I hear there may be some other Republicans uh, coming up soon too out there. Right, Zachary I, in New Rochelle, New York, wants James asking you particularly communicating the substance and nuanced policies is the bulwark of our republic. But unfortunately, appearances often play a substantial role in conveying those policies to a well-informed public. In that context, Zachary wants to know, he said, I find Joe Biden's dark aviator glasses to be off-putting. Would you buy a car from someone in dark glasses? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think he thinks it's, it may, might be part of his persona. Maybe he has some kind of a, a condition that requires him to wear dark glasses. And, and I, I don't know. But I, I, I don't think the fact that his glasses are opaque really speaks that much to him. But, uh, you know, I, it's, a, it's a good point. Uh, think about it. Al, what do you think? I, it, well, I, it, 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 I, I don't think it's a big deal at all. But, you know, I kind of wonder sometimes. I mean, you know, if you're out there giving a speech in the sun, that's fine. But uh, sometimes when he's just, you know... I don't think I've seen him wearing them inside, but, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I got a lot bigger things to worry about than Joe's. Right. I, I know, but it, it was a provocative question. It was. I, I, mean, I have he, these lens that transition. So if I got a lot of light, nothing would, yeah, I mean, if I get a lot of light, they'll transition into, right. you know, a different, a little darker. 
but other than yeah. that, but I, I don't know. I'll think about that question. Yeah, let's I keep it. And, and let's, yeah. you know, other listeners, let us know what you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh-huh. John in Chicago says the Inflation Reduction Act includes $80 billion for the Internal Revenue Service, which will enable them to audit more wealthy individuals and corporations. It is projected with this funding, the IRS will now be able to capture $200 billion more dollars in the next decade from unpaid taxes. Shouldn't Democrats trumpet this accomplishment as a win instead of letting the Republicans turn into hatred against paying taxes? John, you are dead right, 100% right. And Sean Walensis' favorite target these days, Marco Rubio, simply lied about it by saying these will, this will be an effort to go after middle-class taxpayers. It will not. There may be a few middle-class taxpayers who are tax cheats and they may go after that. This will go after the wealthy tax cheats, the corporate tax cheats. It's an undermanned internal revenue service. They can provide more services to the average taxpayer. It, and it, it will pay for itself three or four times over. It is a very good provision, a very good investment, and Democrats should not see that to, to Republican demagoguery. Yeah, so uh, the Secretary of Treasury uh, Yellen said they will go after no one on, uh, has an income of under $400,000. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. And you're right, there's a lot of uncollected taxes, not raising taxes, just collecting the taxes that people owe. And it's going to be a lot of money. And, and Rubio and Rick Scott and people talking about, you know, 80,000 armed agents, you know, busting into people's houses. It, it's, it's a breathtaking, staggering lie that they are putting out as a result of the fact that they do anything that these rich taxpayers, you know, want, or, or in this case, don't want. And that's anybody coming in and say, hey, you, you got to pay your fair share here, buddy. And, and it's yeah. just a, another case, of, and this is really good policy. But but yeah. it's now eighty thousand gun toting people knocking doors down, you know, going after plumbers or whatever. I don't know what they, you know. And it's going to reduce the deficit, which is not Absolutely. a bad idea at all. Absolutely. So Greg great, in Sid- Sydney, Australia, we're getting back our our yeah, our, we're getting our, our international Aussies. people back. All right. Yeah, exactly. Good for old Greg. What polling do we have that shows the actual percentage of Democrats who endorse stupid crap like defunding the police, teaching CRT in schools, unrestricted immigration, teaching sexuality in schools, and similar woke nonsense? I'm guessing it's a pretty small percentage. It's time we tore down the Democratic straw man that Republicans have constructed, James. So tell 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 Greg what the facts are here. Well, Greg, <laughs> so it's my favorite question in the whole world. The, the Pew uh, poll people, P-E-W, you can look it up, uh, did a large sample, and they broke the country into nine different groups. And one was like true independence, I don't know, seven, eight percent. And then they had four different classifications of Republicans, four different classifications of Democrats. Without going into it, the smallest group in the country were people who described themselves as progressive Democrats. It was 11 percent of the Democratic Party, and it was 6 percent of the country. I've seen some other polling that has it like 15, you know, a little bit higher, but not much. And, and by the way, it is the only majority white segment of the Democratic Party. So a lot of this, a lot of this stuff, people don't want it. It, it. It's being forced into the dialogue because the press covers, gives it way more coverage, you know, and, and it's not, none of this stuff is inherently Harmful. I mean, it's evil. It, it, I think it's more silly than anything. And, and their stuff is evil. And we pay as big a price for our silly people 
is they pay for their evil people. And they're much they're a much greater part of the Republican Party than silly people are a Democratic Party. But you know, we, we allow ourselves to get branded here. Yeah, and if the Republicans elect some of those candidates they're putting up in November, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, uh, who uh, you know may be may may be moderates in that crowd. Uh, and know, by the and way, not, Lauren Boebert is having a tough race, James. Ooh, I know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, she could uh, she could lose. It's a heavily Republican district, but she's running against a an Aspen businessman who's running as an independent. I don't know. There's a there's a hey, shot. Hey, well, there. that phone call from that neighbor. I mean, these, these are some these are the trashiest white people you can imagine. Yeah, the yeah. husband. I mean, my, my God. Yes, Cindy Absolutely. in Berwick, Pennsylvania, says that she's not a political genius. Uh, I'm not going to accept that, Cindy. But isn't the real question here who helped Trump? Come on now, he didn't pack and move those boxes alone. How did he get a hold of sensitive doc documents? And there was no one who asked him to give them back if they were copies. If they were copies, how did the National Archives know they were missing if they weren't copies? Well, National Archives can keep records of that and their records of meetings and everything. But Cindy, you are dead on. Donald Trump didn't go down one day like January 17th and say, hey, I want to get the Russian file here, you know, and give me the Iran file, Iran file here and give me all of our sources uh, in, uh, in China here. Uh, somebody helped him get some of that stuff. And uh, they're, they're not talking now because you know what? If they did, they're as guilty as he is. Yeah, it, 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 it's this kind of like it was chaotic that he didn't think I mean, what I've read and it kind of makes sense. He, he actually thought he was going to stay in the White House. He actually thought that January the 6th was going to work and he was going to stay president. And he didn't come to the realization that he had to get his lord ass out of there until there was very little time left. Now, the the, the documents, I, I'm dying to know what the what the real story is. And, you know, again, he thought that government documents belonged to him, not to government. And he, he might have just told people to pack them up and take them and hadn't looked at any of them and knew they were down there. I don't know the answer to it. It's a very good question. It really I is. don't know the answer. Because he selectively picked ones. He didn't take it, everything yes. there. But, but and, somebody had to go and get them or right. sort through them or something. Who was that person? And how many of them were there? And what did they know? And, and that's where the grand jury is going to really bore down. I Absolutely. And I suspect as someone who's a lot smarter and more knowledgeable than Johnny McEntee. But, uh, right, uh, right. I, I, I think, you know, did they know what they're looking for? But you can't discount the possibility that they were just throwing shit in there that he thought he could would have some value to him something later down the road. But you can't discard the possibility that it was just... Some, some value to him. Go back to Shane Harris. Some value to him. Namely, he could, he, he could sell he, he it. Agree, yes. And they had that... Uh, oh, God, I can't think of the name of it. They all kind of spies going. Everybody knew that at Bar-a-Lago. Everybody knew, you know, internally, those people knew all that shit was down there. I mean, you don't know how much of it is potentially just compromised. Right. No. Our final question today is from Michael in East Brunswick, New Jersey, who says that every day in Trump country, there seems to be an unending march towards local elections, picking the most extreme election deniers to take over or run for the state election process. Frightening and sickening to me as the great, you know, asking us, uh, if if there is any hang that Democrats can do to slow or stop this. Michael, you have really put your finger on a big problem. Uh, this right-wing cabal is running, uh, you know, clerk, county clerks, 
uh, obviously secretaries of state, and they want to go and they want to fix the next election. And it's important to highlight it, James, but tell us what Democrats could... It's extremely important, and they have such a head start on us, all right? We don't have any, any recruitment at, for, for people at that level. And they have a built a, a, a whole infrastructure, and they watch that. And, and again, we, we go back to what they do. And it really accelerated in 2010 when they took over all these state legislatures. And all they, these state legislatures do is pass laws to keep themselves in power. But, but primarily, read Jane Mayer's piece in Ohio, how gerrymandered the Ohio state legislative race is. I mean, we'll worry about the congressional map, as we should. But that, that, that state legislative thing, it, it nowhere near reflects the, the number of Democrats in the state. And it's the same thing in North Carolina. The same thing, you know, everywhere that you turn around. And the Supreme Court is is part of this cabal. I, I mean, it's it's a well-thought-out thing. And, and I'm, if you listen to the part of the show with uh, Professor Wilentz, th this is exactly what they're trying to do. We, we're trying to have a government by minority. And, and people are shoving that along. And in some sense, the majority is going to wake up and figure, what the hell's happening to us? The faster, the better. And, you know, there were shenanigans in the 2020 elections. There were shenanigans by some of these people who were trying to break into machines uh, and, uh, and change votes. And they probably learned their lessons uh, from this time. And so watch out for next time. But first, first, you ask what Democrats can do. They can defeat those who are running for office, who are election deniers and promised to do something uh, untoward in 2024. They can defeat them this November. Yep. There's, there's only, you know, the only way that this stuff can be defeated is at the ballot box. Right. It, it, it's voter intervention. And, you know, we, we got us, this, this 2022, I, you know, we always say, boy, this is the most important lesson. Boy, yeah. this was critical. You know, boy, it's just so much. I, this one, you know, this one might be the big one. I, I mean, if, if, if you can show that, you know, if they do poorly in Arizona and Georgia and Ohio and Pennsylvania, uh, even Wisconsin, you know, it, it'll give them pause because, you know, if these guys, if they keep losing general elections with these kind of candidates. Well, well and, the, token, and the, the flip side of that is equally true, which if they win in those places, it's a validation of what they that's have done why the, exactly. in the last couple it, of years. That, and that's that, why exactly. this election... So, that's I, why I would election. even strike the term might be. I think it is uh, one of the most important midterm elections in our I, history. I, I kind of do, too, but I, you know, I always say that. You know, I mean, that's just the, the nature of the way right. the political people are. But it's one thing, I mean, uh, the rewards of winning are, are, are really, really important. More important would be the disaster of losing. Absolutely. Well, all right, those are terrific questions. I'm sorry we didn't get to all of them, but we'll try to get to as many as we can next week. Keep them coming. Make sure you tell us where you're from. All right, now for the outrage of the week. You know, we've talked about Liz Cheney and her future. I want to focus on the woman who beat her in the primary, Harriet Hageman. It wasn't that long ago that Hageman called Donald Trump, quote, a racist and xenophobic. 
know, she was on to something. And she tried to block his initial nomination for the presidency. Now she calls him, quote, the greatest president, end quote, in her 59-year lifetime. As a self-styled staunch conservative, maybe she can explain why she thinks he was better than, say, Ronald Reagan. Was it his cozying up to the Russians that appealed to her? Maybe it was his ethics? You know, she's going to become an obscure House member representing the Republican Party that, as the Lincoln Project noted this week, is an authoritarian nationalist cult only to Donald, dedicated only to Donald Trump. Hageman's going to vote the same way Cheney would have 95% of the time. The difference is Wyoming is losing a congresswoman who has character and gaining one who has none. So my outrage is as a 2016-year-old female in Florida, in Escambia County, which is in the northwest panhandle, uh, who was pregnant and she wants an abortion, and a judge said that she lacked the maturity to make a decision as to whether she should have an abortion or not. So let me get to rational, and this is an intersection of real life, and, and, and his child is in foster care. She, she's not mature enough to make a decision as to whether she wants to carry a baby to term, but she isn't mature enough to raise the child? All right. I mean, I, it, it, the, the logic, and, and this is what happens to people when you pass these kind of laws. This is what happens all the time. You saw it, you saw it happening in Ohio. Now you see it happening in Florida. And these people have not thought this through. They've, they've done it to bend into political pressure from a bunch of right-wing preachers and bishops. And people are having to live with the real consequences of this, real consequences, and the people of Florida have to live with the consequences of this. And not to mention that uh, that poor girl. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Blinkist and Feels, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting them. When you do, you help make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.